This is Geek Gab with your host, Brian and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. That's right, Geek Gab for Saturday, October 29th, 2016. It is episode 73, our Halloween special for this year. And as we announced in our um, tweets and posts on Facebook and whatnot, that went out a full 40 minutes before going live, sure to give everyone who wanted to listen in plenty of time to tune in. We have had a two-week hiatus of doing the show. The two-week hiatus for two very, very good reasons. The first one of which is I was thoroughly, thoroughly sick, down with antibiotics and all kinds of Grody, grody stuff, so I was just incapable of doing a show. And then Brian, our co-host, was working on the first draft of his third novel, and he has an exciting announcement about that, which we will get to in mere moments. Just to let you know, our co-host John may or may not be joining us if he does. He will be joining us live from Italy, where it will be about 11 o'clock at night, which is why I didn't know if he was going to be able to join us at all. So it's possible, not certain, but possible he'll be joining us live from Italy. But before we go any further with the show, I want to ask, so Brian, anything new or interesting happen in your life this week? Yes, I finished the first draft of the third book in the Soul Cycle, The Secret Kings, and immediately started on the second draft. So I've been working on that since February, so it was just a big weight off my shoulders. I'm really excited to um, you know, be in the home stretch here. I can see the finish line, again, hoping for a Christmas release. And to help me do that, I'm putting out a call for beta readers. So if anyone has read both an Ethereal and Soul Dancer, and would like to get an early, early advanced look at Secret Kings and uh, possibly make a positive contribution toward the finished novel, just contact me through my blog. Um, I've got a, an email button in the upper left-hand sidebar. Just click that, and we will set you up. And as always, the link to his blog, Kairos, is in the description to the video. Um, you talk about getting it up by Christmas, and uh, that just caused me to chuckle a little bit because I went upstairs, and uh, we've got some family members over today. I was just playing a video game with a nephew of mine, and uh, the Hallmark Channel on October 29th, in celebration of the imminent Halloween holiday, is running a Christmas marathon. So, obviously, to get people in the mood for the spookiest holiday of the year. Right. Are you excited, though, about, uh, have you got, now, okay, from what I understand, um, the other things you need to do in order to get it ready to go by Christmas is to get the book edited, get art done for it, Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. finish your other drafts and stuff like that. So, what is the process of getting the art ready for the book? Okay. Well, I've been working with an outstanding artist, Marcelo Orsi Blanco, 
who is actually Argentinian. And I came across him through your suggestion by looking at the uh, cover artists group on DeviantArt, of which he's a member. Um, and he's got quite, a, got quite a pedigree. He did the Latin American covers, the Spanish language version covers for James Dashner's Maze Runner series, which check them out. They, they just take the American covers up behind the woodshed and beat them with a club. I mean, they're, they're amazing. Um, and I thought, hey, his style is going to be perfect for mine. Uh, a lot of people agree. So, yeah, I just contact him, which I already have. Because see how smart this time. I got the ball rolling before I'd finished the first draft. I emailed him and said, hey, I'm getting close to this. And uh, normally, I give him, like, at the earliest, a second draft so he can read the book and get ideas from it. But this time, um, I've had some a couple of very clear ideas for covers I would like to use. So I just told him, uh, here, here are my ideas. See if you can come up with a couple of sketches based on those. And if you need more, uh, I will send you the draft when it's done. But uh, thankfully he said, no, I really like those ideas. I'll come up with a couple of sketches. And he should be done with those any day now. Uh, the exciting part for my readers is at that point, while I can do the sold answer, I'm going to do some A-B testing. I'm going to post both of Marcelo's proposed cover sketches for Secret Kings, and you guys will get to vote on them. And the one that you choose will be the book's cover. Did you announce the beta reader thing? I did announce the beta reader thing. Thanks for okay. double checking. Sorry, I've got like five different things I'm trying to keep track of here. Because <laughs> I'm oh, already... in doubt, ask. I'm doing the, I, I'm also the engineer of this show, folks, so I'm always checking, like, tech things, and I'm potting up Actually, Brian to make sure he's not too quiet, and... Yeah, I'm going to go to my external memory here. Uh, so, guys in the chat, did I announce the beta reader thing? Let's make sure here. Um, so, anyways, folks, uh, a chance to get in on giving feedback on the artwork, a chance to get in on uh, doing some beta reading for the inaugural winner, and we're going to bring this back to the theme of today's Halloween episode, the inaugural winner of the Dragon Award for Best Horror Novel of, I want to say 2015, but it was actually some odd number of months that happened to overlap between 2015 and, and 2016. So um, why don't you announce the beta readers one more time, because the feedback from the chat is it was just on Facebook. No problem. Yeah, so putting out a call for beta readers. Now, let me clarify what that means is what I'm not looking for are people who will skim through the test looking for grammar, spelling, and punctuation errors, okay? Because I line edit at a pro level anyhow, and I can fix that in post. And also, studies have shown that most readers really don't care about that or overlook it because your brain tends to fill in what you think should be there. What I'm looking for are people who can commit to the text, and they're going to have two weeks to read the manuscript. It's not going to be that long. Um, should be right around 100,000 words. So two weeks, read through it. And all you have to do is identify places where you were confused or bored. That's it. You don't need to suggest character or structural or plot changes. That's Jadji's job. That's what I pay her for. She's my editor. That is all you guys have to do. And in return for that, not only will you get an advanced draft of the book, but I'll also give you an ebook copy for free before the official release, so you'll get that early. Um, and I will see about listing people in the acknowledgements, because I, I need to fill up some acknowledgements. And they so, can sign up on your blog, 
the link to which is in the description of the video. Correct. <clears throat> yeah, just uh, there, there's a button in the upper left sidebar at Kairos. It says send me an email. Okay. I've also got a, a post up with a email address just written out. Just email me there. It's um, soulcyclebooks, all one word, at Gmail. Well, not only is it the Halloween season, folks, uh, it's also the season for the debut of new series. And uh, two of my favorite series debuted, one of which I haven't had a chance to see yet. And both series, honestly, uh, surprisingly enough, are horror. One of which is Supernatural. The new season of Supernatural just debuted. I have not had a chance to watch it. I want to watch it very, very much. However, one of the characters from Supernatural, one of the actors who played John Winchester, the father, um, also plays Megan on The Walking Dead, which was one of my favorite series. But as of the season premiere of The Walking Dead, a week ago Sunday, I have officially sworn off both The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead, I'm out. I'm done. Bold, sir. I Bold. have... Not only have I watched both series through all their seasons, not only have I purchased um, The Walking Dead on iTunes, I've seen the first season, which is only six episodes. It's not as long as it may seem. I've seen the first season of The Walking Dead uh, seven times. I've watched it a lot, and I've seen the other seasons multiple times, not that many. So I'm an actual Walking Dead fan. I'm not a casual walker. I'm not a casual watcher of The Walking Dead, and I'm out. I'm done. I can't see it anymore. I won't watch it anymore, and this is why. So we're talking Halloween now. I'm a fan of horror movies. I like horror movies. I like a lot of horror movies. But The Walking Dead, and I especially like zombie movies. I'm a big, big fan of zombie movies. I've talked about them on my blog a lot. I've talked about them on this show. We've talked about zombie movies on this show three or four times, I think, maybe more. Um, I don't want to watch The Walking Dead anymore. Because it is no longer a TV show about zombie horror. It hmm. is instead misery porn. Now, people said, oh, well, you mean torture porn. That's this and that and the other thing. No, no, no. I'm not talking about torture porn. I'm not talking about Saw or Hostel or, or any of those movies. I'm talking about misery porn. In that, the entire hour of the season premiere of The Walking Dead was nothing but watching Rick be beyond human suffering miserable for an entire hour. It was dark. It was brutal. It was unrelentingly grim. It was depressing. And I just got sick of it. 
I'm fed up. I've had enough. Because that's all the show is. It mistakes grim, suffering, depression, and death for intellectual depth and character development. It mistakes darkness and misery and pain for meaning, for being meaningful, for being deep, for being insightful, for being good, fulfilling drama. And that is wrong. That is not what makes good drama. And I point you to the scads of good dramas that do not involve hours of meaningless misery and death and depression and despair and failure in both TV and movies, scads of them. And so rather than subjecting myself to the mental and spiritual assault of this depressing show, I would rather watch something that even if it insults my intelligence is fun and funny. I would rather watch The Big Bang Theory than The Walking Dead. And I will stake a claim to that. I will defend that position against all comers. And it's not because people died, and it's not because favorite characters died. It's because the people behind the show don't know how to write human drama. They don't know how to write two human beings interacting in a meaningful manner that reveals their character, that allows them to develop as people in an interesting way. All they know how to write is pain and misery and so on and so forth. I'm done. I'm out. I quit. I've watched it. I've put many, many hours into both series, and I'm through. That's my, uh, it's not exactly a review. It's a revolt against the revolting Walking Dead. You're here. Personally, I gave up after they let Frank Darabont go. Those clown shoes. Yeah, and, and after they let Frank, Frank Darabont only did the first season. He only did the first six episodes. Yep. And season two was the worst, which was the first season after he was let go, was the worst season of all of them. Because absolutely nothing happened for 13 episodes. Except for one scene, like 10 minutes. Oh, man, I can't yeah. believe I sat through that whole season. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, gee. It really shows a short-time preference when you can't figure out that you fire the only guy to make 
good Stephen King movies. Yeah. And still expect things to be fine. Yeah. Don't think so. So now this being the Halloween show, um, that was my contribution. Um, now we're going to turn it over mm. Brian for his contribution to the Halloween episode. All right. Thanks. Well, so you're more contemporary here. I'm going to go a little retro. I'm going to go back to the eighties. I'm going to call the, the bronze age of horror, the last classic horror era before people just got burned out mainly the, the slasher genre and we had to resort to postmodern parody like uh, Scream and its imitators and whatnot. And we really, I don't think, have had anything comparable, any, anything that could be called a new classic or that rises to the level of horror that we had in the 70s and 80s. At least not yet. Um, I think it follows, came close, but was still kind of flawed. So anyway, like you, I'm a big horror fan. Really love 70s, especially 80s horror. So I went back and watched a movie that I have seen piecemeal, but I've never just sat down and watched it from start to finish until last night. And that is Clive Barker's landmark film, Hellraiser, the original. Now, have you seen that film? Yes, uh, at least twice, maybe three times. Okay, so you might be more qualified to talk about this than me, but yeah, and... Would you agree that the Hellraiser series not only fell victim to sequelitis, but I mean, they even had their obligatory in space episode and just a red flag of when the wheels are coming off the train is when a horror franchise goes into space. Cause that, that's when they're just out of ideas. Um, but it not only fell victim. Yeah, go ahead. I don't know if they made any other Hellraiser movies after that. That was, that was the fourth one. I've seen all four of them. Um, they they made like eight. Oh geez, I actually saw the fourth one yeah. in the theaters. Um, yeah, I paid money to yeah, see the fourth ones. one in space. Um, that movie was right. so bad and suffered so much from studio interference that they uh, the director of it, who nobody knows who the actual director is. Um, okay. Nobody, the, the director of it asked to get his name taken off of it and replaced with Alan Smithy. Now we know who his who that director is. I don't know. I don't remember his name, but people know who he is. But they brought in some other director to finish the movie, and nobody knows who that is. This unnamed director came in to finish the movie, which is why it was such a botch. Um, so okay. that, that's how badly downhill it went, is that fourth one just it hit the wall. And it wasn't going too well before then. The third one was not super high quality and the second one was it was a decent horror movie it was good but it was not up to the quality of the first one and for those of you who haven't seen any of the hellraiser movies you have to have a pretty high tolerance for gore or i would have said that before modern torture porn movies if you can stand the saw movies the hellraiser movies won't give you any problem but they are fairly gory if uh, gore bothers you you probably shouldn't see it. Um, just forewarned. Agreed. Now, let's see here. Um, I'm on Info Galactic looking up Hellers of Four Bloodline. And yeah, the first director is Kevin Yeager. Uh, credited as Alan Smithy. Yeah. And then they have Joe Chappelle, uncredited. Hmm. 
So it looks like they have uh, identified Joe Chappelle as the second uncredited director. By the way, did you know that um, now because people have caught on that Alan Smithy, like that it's a pseudonym for when a director is too embarrassed to put his name on a film, they've caught on to that. So there's now a new Alan Smithy name that directors are using and no one really knows what it is yet. The, um, the writers, the Directors Guild, uh, how, the Hollywood Directors Guild, the union for directors, only allows you to use Alan Smithy if you can prove to them, to their satisfaction, that studio interference was so uh, great, was so destructive to your original version of the movie that you could not possibly put together a version of the movie um, that matched your skill, therefore you shouldn't be held responsible for it. And the most ironic thing about it is they actually made a movie about Alan Smithy. It was called Alan Smithy, A Hollywood Tale. Mm -hmm. That was so bad, so terrible, that the studio got involved and screwed up so horrible that the guy who was directing it had his name taken off of it and replaced with Alan Smithy. See, that's what Josh Trank should have done instead of wrecking his trailer after Fantastic Four. So, anyway, but we're off, we're off the, we're way off the beaten path of, of, of Halloween, though. Yeah, exactly. So, that's another uh, franchise we could talk about, but one thing that John Carpenter's Halloween series and uh, Clive Barker's Hellraiser have in common is that they have this phenomenon of what was originally meant to be kind of an ancillary throwaway character just expanded and became kind of a breakout character, really to the series' detriment. So if you remember how in Halloween, originally it was supposed to be an anthology series. That's why the third one bears no connection to Halloween 1 or 2. They wanted to, to do a different, entirely different kind of horror movie every year in the Halloween franchise and give a new up-and-coming director a chance to uh, have his big break. That was Carpenter's original vision for it but no people latched on to michael myers rightly or wrongly and after the third one bombed the studio just decided okay well now every halloween movie has to be about michael myers even the point where it just stops making sense at all <laughs> and yeah because at first he's just a psycho killer who escapes from an asylum like something out of an urban legend right but no after the fourth one he becomes this supernatural boogeyman who can't be killed and it's they try to hand wave it away in part six and it makes no sense. Um, Pinhead doesn't quite suffer that badly, but he's not the main villain of the first Hellraiser. I don't think a lot of people realize that this career criminal and jaded hedonist nihilist named Frank Cotton is the main antagonist with uh, the deuteragonist, Julia, who uh, is an alpha widow who eventually decided to commit murder to help Frank out of his predicament. And um, I mean, it's, it's almost been 30 years here, folks. So I'm not gonna read too much about spoilers. If you haven't seen Hellraiser or read the short story, the Hellbound Heart from Books of Blood that it's based on, do yourself a favor, you know, go, go check those out. But again, it's, it's not for the squeamish. So I don't know, what, what is your opinion on sort of the, the pinhead character coming to overshadow the series phenomenon let's give a let's give a quick let's give a quick uh synopsis there's this puzzle box that's golden black 
and I'm sure if you if you're at all a horror aficionado, you know who Pinhead is. You know what the puzzle box is. If you manipulate this puzzle box correctly, it opens up, and it opens up a portal to uh, another dimension that's supposed to be hell. Um, but it is not the Christian hell. It is not the medieval hell. Um, and in this dimension are creatures known as Cenobites, and they are grotesque and disfigured. Each of them is disfigured in a particular way. The One of them is called Pinhead, and he's got a bunch of pins who have been pounded all over his head. And he's blue, kind of corpse-like, dressed in black. And he's got square lines across his uh, bald head. Um, and so that's that's the source of the horror, but that's not the source of the conflict. Um, right, the conflict... yeah, the... Go ahead. Yeah, go, go ahead. Okay. That's yeah, the and the, the premise... Yeah, the premise behind the box, uh, the Armarshan box, later called the Lament Configuration, is that it's it's a doorway that summons the Cenobites, and this there's this rumor going around that it can unlock pleasure beyond human experience. Right, that's how the Cenobites explain themselves. Uh, they explain themselves as explorers on the outer limits of of experience. But what people saw the box don't realize is they've got to the point where extreme pleasure and extreme pain are blended and they can't tell the difference anymore. So they, uh, if you solve the box, they come and drag it to their dimension and just horribly torture you forever. <laughs> so I guess that's up the conflict. So I'll, I'll pass the ball to you. Um, but that, that's where that's, that's the conflict of the, of the show is that the box is opened and this innocent person gets sucked in with the, uh, because an evil person is trying to use the Cenobites to, resurrect this uh criminal and um you know it, it, horror ideally well done horror and i'm talking supernatural horror i'm not talking mundane horror like s scream um supernatural horror is about a great supernatural evil and an innocent person who is threatened by it and their struggles eventually to escape it and definitely Hellraiser fits right into that to that uh, genre. Right, because the protagonist is Kirsty, who is an innocent young woman whose family's being terrorized by her Uncle Frank, who was an idiot and opened the box, and now he's on the lamb from the Cenobites. He's having Kirsty's wicked stepmother, Julia, trolling men at bars and bringing them home so she can murder him and Frank can... Uh, reconstitute himself from their flesh so he can be presentable in public again and they, they can run. And uh, so she's stuck in a situation totally, totally outside her experience. And really, that is the gist of horror, of supernatural horror, as you said. It's when an ordinary person is confronted with something just mind-blowingly beyond the pale and like, okay, I have to deal with this now. So it's it's a very chilling movie. It's a very gory movie. It's a very disturbing movie. Um, it's very well done. It's not a schlocky movie. It's not. It wasn't a movie that was that was made to cash in on any kind of trend. Um, and it's really kind of unique. There wasn't any movies that really came after it that ripped it off because it was really. It would be really hard to rip off. Hellraiser. It's really easy to rip off like Friday the 13th. I mean, you yeah. can make a million teen slasher movies 
and and they have, but it's really hard to rip off Hellraiser. It is uh, the, the closest I've seen is Cabin in the Woods, where Josh Whedon had that uh, that character with like saw blades that got his head in a, a spherical puzzle. Yeah. But that was obvious parody. That wasn't an, an attempted rip off. So the the most you could do is homages to it. Although. Um, Interesting side note for horror fans here. You guys all remember Freddy versus Jason, right? And how long a gestation period it had, where um, there was uh, a monster award at the end of Friday the 13th, part nine, Jason goes to hell, where Freddy's gaunt hand comes up and from the dirt and drags Jason's mask down. On the original script, that was supposed to lead to a scene where both Jason and Freddy are in the middle of like a boxing ring in hell, but I believe Lee Harvey Oswald is the ref. And like, <laughs> A riot breaks out, and all of a sudden, these hooked chains just shoot out of the shadows and break up the fight, and Pinhead shows up between Jason and Freddy, kind of hold them apart, and says, gentlemen, is there a problem? And it was going to smash cut to, like, uh, you know, Freddy versus Jason, like, featuring Pinhead coming soon. But New Line Cinema axed the idea because they said that Pinhead was too low rent to be in a Jason and Freddy movie. <laughs> and a Shakespearean trained actor Doug Bradley versus you know compared with stuntman Kane Hodder and character actor Robert Anglund and I, I all three of them but really calling Pinhead low rent <laughs> well and that's, that's I think that's why people latched on to Pinhead though is that the actor who who portrayed him did so with such conviction and such gravitas and um, he did just such a good job oh. Yeah, in fact, there's a great story, speaking of, uh, really quick, speaking of studio interference, one of the reasons that the first Hellraiser is so good is that Clive Barker, as director, managed to fight for and win several battles against the studios. One of them was they wanted just stuntmen to play the Cenobites because they're cheaper. Yeah. But he insisted on ha having actual trained actors because he said, no, even the characters that don't have speaking parts like Chattered and Butterball, the body language will convey their character through it. Um, and yeah, Doug Bradley, the guy who played Pinhead, one of the directions he got from Parker was to have as little movement as possible to give off this era of total control. And it, it works spot on. It's a brilliant performance. All right. Well, we are almost out of time. Um, unfortunately, it looks like John was not able to join us live from Italy. So, uh, uh, apologies. Uh, I think he's going to be back for next week, though. Um, so I think that's his vacation is over. So uh, we'll be looking forward to that. Any uh, any last thoughts, Brian? Yes. Yeah, so once again, uh, I've put out the call for beta readers. Now, I expect to be done in about two weeks with the second draft. So anybody who's interested in being a beta reader but hasn't finished uh, one or both of my previous books, you can get Nithereal and Soul Dancer at the links below. And you should have just enough time to finish them before the third book drops in uh, its, its second draft. So before beta reading begins. So again, if you'd like to get in on that, you've still got time. All right. Thanks for tuning in to our Halloween episode of uh, Geek Gab. This is uh, episode 73, October 29th, 2016. Uh, by the way, folks, we do do this show uh, roughly once a week, barring, you know, sudden illnesses and antibiotics, things like that. We do this live on YouTube, so you can join us and uh, get in on the chat. Uh, we also 
make it available through SoundCloud. So you can do a search for Geek Gab there and download us when we upload it to SoundCloud. We are also available on iTunes. Do a search for Geek Gab. You can subscribe to us, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes for playback on any iDevice or on any computer with iTunes. And we are also available on the Google Play Store. So if you have an Android device that uh, you have installed Google Play on, uh, you can get us through that as well. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, This has been Geek Gab with your hosts, Brian and Daddy Warpig. Have a happy Halloween. Watch some horror movies. Um, Pick some great ones. Um, And uh, please enjoy this spooky, spooky, spooky season and put off Christmas for another month or two. Because you can, Christmas for the Christmas season, Halloween for the Halloween season. We're uh, signing off for today, folks. But don't worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.